the energy. I am done talking about Mac Jones. As far as I am concerned, Mac Jones is no longer on the New England Patriots. The passion. I am very, very happy that the state of Vermont has legalized sports gambling. I just don't know if after my weekend, I can partake in it anymore. The opinions on all your favorite teams. This isn't Craig Breslow's fault. The Red Sox are not the Red Sox of old, but it's an ownership directive. Direct your anger at them. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? A very happy Tuesday here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM and FM and WDEBradio.com. We have a full show. We have all 90 minutes. Aaron Deloney is going to stop by from the UVM men's basketball team. AD will be with us at about 6.30 as he is every single or every other Tuesday for our Tuesday night Cats chat. Catamounts right now rolling on the men's side. They've won nine consecutive games. They have won eight games in a row inside conference play. They are 8-0 inside league play talk about some of the patriots conversation being had right now at radio row at the super bowls we get ready for chiefs and 49ers and that one to come up on sunday got some celtic stuff Jalen brown maybe going to do the slam dunk contest see if he can save that we'll talk about that too but most importantly of anything the number one story at least in my world for the day is that our guy danny mckivrigan is back danny was off thursday breaking news he was off friday he was off Monday. He was gone for what seemed like a hundred days watching Celtics basketball. Saw a loss against the Lakers Thursday, the win against the uh, Grizzlies on Sunday. Danny is back. Danny, I hope you had a good time, but you're not allowed to leave anymore, my friend. You are Ever? you are not allowed to take vacation anymore, at least not while I'm still here. We need to plan our vacations together because I can't deal with you and Roger Hill being gone at the same time. That rough, huh? It was rough. I, you know, we all have that friend. And Danny, you, you, as you get older, you will start to see this in your own life among your own friend group. We all have that friend who's like very, very dependent on his wife, right? He's not really, he's not trying to be mean. He's not trying to take advantage. He just kind of can't function without her helping him along the way. That is what I felt like. That is what I was for the last three three days. I was the guy who's dependent on his wife to do almost everything, who needs help. And then when she goes away, he can't function, and, like, he's stuck eating TV dinners, like, and and doesn't know what he's doing. That was me. I cannot handle you not being here because, seriously, yesterday's podcast didn't get posted until this morning. I forgot about it. Thursday's podcast didn't get posted until Friday morning. I screwed something up. The, the just the audio stuff wasn't as good. The sound bites weren't as good. Nothing was as good as. And you know what? That's the true make. That's how you know you're a good producer. When the show can barely function without you being here, that's how you know you're making an impact. So congratulations. Your worth was made completely clear to me and everybody else in the building the last few days. But I am so happy and relieved that you are back. Co-producer and show wife. That, would you would you put that in your Twitter bio? Sure. That would sound but pretty funny. You taught me how to edit a podcast, so what happened? Um. Well, once 7 o'clock comes around, I'll be honest with you. I was so wiped yesterday from the news. It's not like I don't know how to do it, right? But yesterday was a pretty tough day, actually. So we had the news. There was a lot of news that happened. We have had no Roger for two weeks, so I've been running on fumes trying to play amateur meteorologist. Then... We did the show yesterday. We didn't have a guest, so it was full 90 minutes of basically just me. And so by the time 7 o'clock hit, I was completely wiped. And I was like, 
I don't have the energy to put up the podcast. And I felt bad for the people that wanted to hear it yesterday, but I was like, I just, I couldn't wrap my head around doing it. It was going to cause me to stay a few minutes extra to do it. And I was like, I'll do it this morning and do it properly. But when you're here, the podcast is up like six minutes after the show ends. Now, well, we the edit show as we up. go. Yeah, you edit the podcast as we go. I had to go through and look, I'm kind of, I'm making my point, like looking like the guy who's incapable of functioning without his wife, but that's how I felt the last couple of days, and um, I'm glad you're back. Now, I am going to be off next week for three days. Newsflash. I am off next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, at least from the afternoon news and the show. I'm going to do the midday news on Tuesday next week, so I'm going to do Super Bowl recap Monday and then Friday of next week. I don't think somehow, somehow I think your life is not going to be as difficult without me as mine is without you. We'll see. But it was, I, I'm happy. Did you have a good time? Oh yeah. I need some stories. I know you want to be like, oh, I'm, you know, it's your show. I don't want to talk too much. I'm going to be like quiet and deliver my one-liners and my zingers and all that. I need you to open up a little bit here. There's got to be a story, right? You were gone for like a hundred days. You were with your family. Your brother was there too. He's a fun guy. He's barely older than you. A couple of twenty-somethings yucking it up in Boston. Was your dad there too? He was not. Okay, was my it just was you there. and your brother? My, me, my brother, my sister. Um, but the, both games we went to had different groups of people going. Okay, so you were with the fam. You had a big group of people involved. There's got to be some stories. Tell me, give me something. Give me something that happened while you were gone. You want uh, a good one that didn't happen at the game? Yes, I want a good one in general from this trip. When you're gone for like, when I go to the Super Bowl, I come back with stories. When you go to Boston, you got to come back with a story. What's going on? Okay, here's a decent one I think. So Saturday night we go out to eat in in, uh, East Boston, which is where the Airbnb was. Um, And a couple tables over, we see this face that looks kind of familiar, and it looks like a face we see on TV. So my brother does a little Google search, and I'm like, oh, that's him. That is Eddie Palladino, the voice of the Celtics. The, the, um, in, the in arena voice, like now starting it forward for correct. Luke, Jason Tatum. That, that voice guy? you hear on TV and in, in the stadium if you're there, that is Eddie Palladino. Been doing it for 25 years, I guess. I never would know what the in stadium or in arena broadcaster's name was for any other place. Did you you actually knew who this was? Yeah. How? Like, you, you see his face all the time. You probably just haven't realized it, but every time they're, you know, they're showing players at the scores table, you see Eddie's face. Every time you, they do a replay review, uh, before you see the ref, you see Eddie's face because he's standing right in front of him. Did you talk to him? No. No, he was with a group of people, so we didn't bother him, but, um, my brother got it confirmed actually by one of the servers there. Do you feel like royalty? You feel like you were in the presence of greatness? Yeah, it was interesting. Eddie Valadino I... should have been happy he was in the same restaurant as you. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of restaurant was it? Was it, it was not fancy at all. No, nothing. I was going to say, is nope. it somewhere swanky if you're hanging not out at all. with the Glitterati? According to Wikipedia, he grew up in East Boston, so maybe he just goes there all the time for dinner. Who knows? What kind of food? Just Italian. Yeah. Kind of a pub-ish area, but Italian food. Okay. Did you, did you, did you go out late? Did you, you know, get all lubed up? Like, what, what, what else happened on Saturday night? Nothing crazy. My sister had a game, so my brother had to, or my brother had to go pick her up. Uh, Leslie University does not have their own basketball court, so my sister was playing at Medford High School. Your sister played a college basketball game in a high school gym. Yep. Yep. Did they win? They did. This is uh, twice. So they played a Friday, Saturday. I guess that's common in D three. This is at Linden, right? Yes, Linden traveled to Leslie in Medford. Okay. 
So, uh, all right, so that's a good story. You're hanging out with royalty. So you saw the Celtics-Laker game on Thursday. The Celtics inexplicably lost that game without LeBron and AD playing. What was your state of emotions in that game? Are you happy to be there? Doesn't really matter the result. Are you frustrated not talking to anybody because you're so grumpy? What's your mindset on Thursday night? It's funny because if you're watching that on TV, I think I'm like almost borderline throwing stuff in frustration. But when you're watching live, I guess it's not the scoreboard is there, but you're not looking at it quite as often. You're just looking at the play. Yeah. And then every couple minutes, you're like, oh, they're still down 12. What's going on? Hmm. So that was also frustrating in a way because you see in the fourth quarter that this is just not happening today. But it didn't feel like they played that bad when you're watching it live. Were Don't you, exactly know how to explain that. Were you more frustrated? No, I, I, I'm with you on that because especially like, when you're by, when you're watching at home, I don't know about, you know, you, but like your brother doesn't live with you at home. Your sister doesn't live with you at home. So when you're watching at home, you're generally watching by yourself. And when you're by yourself, you're able to stew in your own anger and you want to throw things at the television. And, you know, when you're watching at the game, you one can't get as riled up as you can get in your own home, and two, you were with a more fun group of people, so you had your your attention kind of more diverted. So, and I think you're naturally in a better mood because you're not just stewing in your own anger. You have other people there to kind of take the heat off. So that that makes sense to me that you weren't as angry in person. Were you more disappointed that they lost, or disappointed that you didn't get to see LeBron? We're coming to the end of LeBron's tenure here. I don't know that you've ever seen him play in person. Would you have liked to see him play, or were you just upset that they lost? Yeah, more upset that they lost. I would have liked to see him, though. Him and Anthony Davis would be fun to see live, obviously. My brother's friend, who he brought with him, is a Laker fan, and he wanted to see him play. Um, he got to see a win, though. So, I saw LeBron play his rookie year. Wow. Yeah. I Now, Where? it was uh, New Jersey. So it was one of the more unspectacular games of LeBron's rookie year. I'd have to pull up the exact numbers to look. I want to say he had 11 points or 12. Like, I think he didn't score in double figures, like, three games his whole rookie year, and this was one he was barely on the other side. But it was January. It was just after New Year's um, in his rookie year. I only remember the time frame because I remember there was a college football bowl game going on. There was the Fiesta Bowl, so it was a, a, a late, good season, New Year's Day-ish bowl. Maybe it was right after New Year's. But uh, it was the New Jersey Nets and the Cavs. So I did see LeBron play his rookie year. I don't remember much about his performance because he frankly didn't play that well. And I was also, you know, 15 or so or whatever. But, uh, you know, it was when the Nets were really good, right? The Nets were going to the finals in those times. It was like Kenyon Martin, Jason Kidd, Kerry Kittles, Keith Van Horn, I think, was on that team. Was Scal on that team? Uh, you're, Kenyon Martin, Kerry Kittles, Jason Kidd, that, that's good enough for me in terms of, of guys who were on that team. I thought that those were some pretty good pulls uh, in and of itself. So then you go to the, the Memphis game on Sunday. And Celtics won that game by 40. Memphis had almost nobody anybody's ever heard of playing. And it's kind of an interesting dichotomy, I would think. You see this game, you're happy the Celtics win, but it's a blowout. First off, was that fun? Was it fun to be at a blowout? Yeah, yeah, it was fun. I think, obviously, close games bring out more energy, but that was it was still fun to see them destroy a team. Tatum went off. That's, that's always fun. See, the thing I wouldn't have liked about it is – 
you know, I don't know. Did you have good seats to these games? Yeah, so I don't know if you've heard of the Rafter Club. It's above the nosebleeds, basically. But the way it's positioned, um, it's a little bit more forward, I think. So it's not like a, the kind of view you would think it is if you're up at the top. So you didn't pay top dollar for these seats. But we the did seats not. Also, no. didn't stink. No, these but are like, these are great. Great. Regardless, view. you you spent. I'm sure that you're you know. You spend a bunch of money to go there, right? You're staying in an Airbnb. You're spending money on gas. You're eating out. You're having beers. You're getting tickets to the game. So I'd be disappointed that I spent all that money, and then I didn't get to see the Stars play the entire game. Like, now you got to see two games, so maybe some of that's alleviated, but Tatum didn't really play the fourth quarter, and Jalen Brown didn't play at all, and Drew Holiday barely played the fourth, and Porzingis barely played the fourth. If this game is closer, these guys play – 38 minutes instead of 28 minutes so a blowout well it would be fun to you know see to Tatum still did go off you still get some of the fun and you know the cornet applause and and uh Brissett and Kata are playing and all that that is fun and it's not very stressful I would have liked to see a closer game so the guys I paid to see and the investment I made so they're getting to play more but you also had the juxtaposition with like the Marcus Smart tribute and stuff. And you as a big Celtics fan, I imagine that was pretty cool to see. That was an amazing moment. Like, louder than I've ever heard a place, really. Like, just like amazing. That feels like a bigger story to me than the game itself, really. Yeah, in a way it was. Like, I think that's why a majority of the people there bought tickets for that very night. Probably because they wanted to see him play before that, but afterwards, if you can get a ticket against that bad team, probably cheaper, you get to see the Mark Smart tribute video, and you get to see him in Boston for the first time since. I was saying this yesterday. I don't know if you heard the show as you were coming back into town, but I was saying this yesterday. I I am very disappointed for Marcus Smart that he's hurt, right? You hate to see players get hurt, especially a guy that we like and respect. So I'm disappointed that he wasn't able to play. But I do think him being hurt allowed for a greater appreciation of the moment, right? Like, if he was playing, it might have been more contentious at some point from the fans to him who still wanted the Celtics to win. He wouldn't have been able to fully appreciate the ceremony or the tribute because he would have been locked in on playing and winning the game. Because he wasn't playing, there was no chance for animosity and he was able to fully step back and look up at the screen and come out on the floor and give waves. So while I'm disappointed he was hurt, it was kind of beautiful, I think, that he got to fully appreciate what happened. Did you get that sense in the building? Yeah, and you could tell he was kind of trying to keep it together, but it was it was definitely moving for him. Was it moving for you? I, I'm a sports sap. Like, I will, I will cry. I will tear up, rather, at emotional moments. I will tear up. When a guy makes a great speech and he's thanking everybody, I'll tear up at the Hall of Fame when a guy's thanking all the people that helped get him there. I'll tear up when a guy comes back to town for the first time and the guy steps out of the batter's box and he's waving at the crowd. That stuff gets me every time. Are you a sports sap as well? Did it get you on Sunday afternoon? Yeah, I think in many ways I am. I don't know if I was crying, but definitely a chills moment. And I don't know if I'm supposed to know this, but it's always the first break um, in the first quarter that they do tribute videos. So as soon as that whistle and the players went to the bench, everybody started getting loud, and you knew what was coming. Okay. You You didn't even have to see it on the video board yet. 
that makes sense. Um, I did. I guess I never really realized when these things happen. But yeah, it does. It does make sense that they do it early. They get it out of the way. They allow everybody to kind of go back to focusing on the game, and they allow the players to focus on the game. But it was good, and I thought appropriately, um, Danny. Things you didn't see or hear in the building. Really nice shot from NBC Sports Boston on Brad Stevens. Like really nice shot, Brad Stevens in his box smiling ear to ear, clapping for Marcus Smart. I mean, that is a – that was an authentic moment, right? That's not Brad just playing it up for the cameras. One, I don't think Brad is like that. But two, it just – it you could tell that was a real moment. And even though, yes, he's the guy who traded Marcus Smart, and it is – I'm sure it was very difficult for him to do so, that's, that's a guy he's got, you know, ten years of history with, right? You're talking about, what, seven, eight years as, the head co- as his head coach and his biggest champion and watching him develop and seeing him grow and get to the playoffs and – then a couple of years as an executive and this team being built around him and seeing him get his contract extension, like that was a real moment. And then, you know, after the game, there's Tatum on the floor with Abby Chin. And I don't know if they show, Danny, do they show the in, like the NBC Sports Boston postgame interview, does that go out to the crowd as well? Some stadiums it does, some it doesn't. It might have. We might have been walking down at that point. Okay. Probably didn't hear it. So, uh, But we saw the pregame interview with Abby. That was I cool. Believe. So. But Tatum right afterward is talking with her about what he meant to the team and what he meant to the organization and how much he misses him. He said the same thing in the postgame press conference and how Horford had nice things to say. So it, it was, you know, it was beautifully done. And it's a guy that really deserves it. And again, tribute videos always get me. But we're kind of at the point where like a lot of guys get videos or signs that don't deserve them. You know, guy has a cup of coffee in an organization, and we're giving him a tribute video. Like, I think Kyrie got a tribute video in Boston. Durant didn't want one last week. He was tweeting at the the people, whoever it was, is, no, I don't want one for the Nets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, smart. But, like, these people, everybody's giving everybody a tribute video. Smart actually deserves it. So, and, you know, deserves it in spades. And I'm happy that he got it, and everybody had pretty good things to say about him. So Now, did uh, you see... Um, the Heroes Among Us segment, did they show that on TV? The Heroes Among Us segment was like off, for like off court impact and things like that. Yeah. They, they, I did see that. It was also part, I think some of the footage was also part of the Abby Chin pregame interview. They were talking about Smart's work in the community and there he is. Like you could see him in COVID time. He's playing basketball in a mask with little kids, like at some kind of camp or foundation, things like that. Um, so I did see that segment, but I also had seen some of the footage in other places also. Yeah, so he got a second standing ovation for that later in the game. Well, good. He deserved it. You yeah. Know I mean, that's – he was everything you want a player to be, and he's everything that sometimes we think professional athletes aren't, right? Like, he's an imperfect player as a player – and he can frustrate you because of his shot selection or his three-point percentage or when he would kind of go and try to get his as opposed to being within the flow of the offense. That stuff can frustrate you. But he was the guy that just played hard. And so often in pro sports and so often in the NBA specifically, we think about guys who are making business decisions and guys don't want to take charges and guys don't want to jump on the floor and guys don't want to get injured and guys don't want to give up their body because they got another game the next night and they got three games in four days. And Marcus Smart was a guy who was, he was willing to do that stuff. And 
It didn't matter if he was going to get hurt. It didn't matter what his contract was. It didn't matter what he had on the line. It didn't matter any of that. He just played in a way that we generally associate with high schoolers or with college, right? We always say college is better because the guys play harder. It just means more to them. Marcus Smart took that attitude and played that way for eight years or whatever it was in Boston. He threw his body on the line, and it's easier to throw your body on the line when you're 17 and not when you're 27. And he still played that way to the very, very end. He's kind of the quintessential this is the, you know, we always talk about Dustin Pedroia, right, being a dirt dog, playing the game the right way, running out every ground ball, diving for everything. Just the way the the, the, the sports role model for kids was Dustin Pedroia for the Red Sox, and in so many ways it was Marcus Smart for the Celtics. And for sure. I'm, I'm glad he had that moment. I'm glad the fans understood the moment. I'm glad he understood the moment, and I'm glad his teammates, his ex-teammates, allowed him to have that moment. And uh I I'm I'm happy for you that you got to go to it, Danny, because you know, I don't know where Smart ranks on your, you know, all time favorite Celtics list, but I gotta imagine he's in the top five and to see that and be there firsthand, I imagine would be pretty cool. Yeah, for my for my lifetime he's way up there for sure. I saw him when he was a rookie. I saw him when the Celtics were really bad. Gerald Wallace was on the those those teams in twenty, I don't know, thirteen, fourteen. Um, he went off on a stretcher one of the first games I saw him going as he does as hard as he can face first into the rim and falling on his back or shoulders or something. Well, really, uh, really happy for you. Again, glad you're back, but, um, you know, glad you're back, but happy you had a fun time. Um, Peter in Plattsburgh says Dave Cowens played that way, uh, also left it all on the floor. That's great. I'm not young enough or I'm not old enough to have seen Dave Cowan's play, but like, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking about a different era. We're talking about a different time, right? We're talking about guys who are making millions of dollars, right? It was easier to give up the body when you weren't making millions of dollars and you had less things to protect. Guys now, we tend to think that the money changes them, but they don't play as hard. Marcus Smart did. Um, Steve over in Faston says, uh, those seats Danny was in in the old garden were called the gallery gods. At least they were for hockey. What did you say they were called, Danny? Rafter Row or something? Ra- Rafter Club, I believe they're called. And is this a, a package, like a season ticket package that you buy, you know, 10 games in the Rafter Club for the year, or you could just get them on a night by night basis? Yeah, essentially, I think it's a season ticket, but it also qualifies for Bruins and concerts there. So my brother's wife's family is in that and my brother bought the tickets off of them and then gotcha. we all paid him so were you at center court or are you foul line extended baseline where, where behind the hoops where are you at baseline and about eye level with the top of the scoreboard okay so it's not as high up as i it's not as high up as i would have thought then i mean the netting that they dropped for bruins games was blocking some of our view of the score so okay Maybe another reason why it didn't bother you in the Lakers game. You couldn't see the scoreboard. Right, right. So, um, Tex says, did Danny Hoops have a good enough view to see the body language of Celtic stars as they were getting whitewashed by the Lakers? I don't know if I saw any specific body language. I saw frustration out there from everybody. But that's typical when you can't catch up to a team playing their backups. Peter also says, welcome back to Danny Hoops. Um we're happy the main producer is back. And uh, someone else says, hope the Celtics don't miss Marcus Smart's intensity and effort on defense in the postseason. It will be interesting. 
I do think. You got Drew Holiday. Yeah, I, I, man, I don't bet his overs though, Brady. Yeah. I I hate to say that Marcus Smart is replaceable because what he did really isn't. But Drew Holiday is like the one guy in my mind who can bring you what Drew, what Marcus Smart did. It's about as close to perfect as it can get, right? Right. I mean, we talked in June or whatever, right? When this trade happened, I was against it. Because the Celtics lost Marcus Smart, they lost their defensive ability, they lost their point guard, they were no, they didn't have a lot of depth at the point guard position, and they lost their heart and soul. Well, when you go get Drew Holiday, you have a, you have gotten a guy who is as good a defender as Smart, and a guy who is a better offensive player than Smart. Now I know Holiday's not getting, you know, 18 a game here, but he doesn't have to, so. He is as good. He is a better offensive player. He's a better passer. He's a true point guard, and he's as good a defender. I will be interested in the heart and soul leadership stuff come playoff time. But as far as a player goes, Holiday is about as good a replacement as you can get. Danny, on that note, I'm gonna I'll play this my uh, myself by the way. But on that note, um. We're talking about the Celtics and leadership issues. After they lost to the Lakers, here's what Colin Cowherd said about Jason Tatum. I can't unhear certain things in sports. And I think about Jason Tatum last night. Yes, I know he's talented and good and productive. But is he confrontational? They had seven free throws last night. How about be aggressive? How about attack the Lakers? Seven free throws all night. Now, they hit them all, but seven free throws. Why are the Lakers' JV team basically getting any look they want defensively? So I watched the Celtics get trounced by the Clippers at home a week ago. I only watched the first half. But from the first minute of the game, the Clippers were far more aggressive. What would Michael have done? Where's the confrontation? Where's the yelling? Where's the arguing? Where's the sitting guys down in the huddle? I'm sorry. But there were concerns years ago about Steph Curry. Is Steph Curry a fighter, or is he just sort of a a good shooter? So that's what Colin's saying about leadership. And he's saying basically Tatum doesn't have it. Smart is the guy that would have done the things that Colin's asking for. I think that Jalen Brown has some of that in him. Now, again, he's been quiet. He's been workmanlike. He's been businesslike. And they've been winning so much that no one's really had to kind of rattle the cages. It will be interesting in a playoff series if they get down two games to none in a series or get down, you know, get beaten game one at their home floor by 22 or whatever. It will be interesting to see where the leadership comes from. I think Holiday replaces a lot of what Smart did on the floor. But Smart's heart and soul and his dedication to Boston, that just can't be copy and pasted somewhere else. So while I think it's unfair for Colin to kind of attack Tatum personally on this thing. I do think, Danny, it's at least a fair question to say when the playoffs come and when there are tough moments of adversity, who's kind of the guy that can rally people? That would have been Marcus Smart. It's been kind of so good in the regular season. We haven't really had to have this conversation in the regular season. We very well may need to in the playoffs. What did you think of what Coward said there? I don't know. I think you can have quiet leaders as well. I don't think the Spurs had a bunch of loudmouths. They won championships. Like I, I don't know where I stand with that exactly. Maybe the coat. Maybe Popovich was the guy then. I, maybe. I, I don't yeah. know. 
And um, maybe Missoula needs to light into his guys if they're not playing hard enough, which he has before. But I don't know. There's a balance to strike there. there they, have a a, they have a veteran team. so I have said before, like I really did wonder about the leadership, right? Like I was a big thing, that a big sticking point for me coming into the season was who's going to be the leader and who's going to be the guy that rallies everybody. Again, we haven't had to have the conversation much because, you know, they're 38 and 12. At some point you might, and I hope that they're able to find that leadership because that is what Marcus Smart also provided was a big intangible. But Drew Holiday as a player does provide, you know, what Smart did as a player. Tech says, um, good point. They are going to miss Marcus Smart's fiery leadership. Well, we will see what happens. I mean, that, that, and I don't mean to be coy about it, but they haven't been in that situation yet. So we will see what happens. When they get there, we will see. So pretty, we just went 30 minutes without a break, but so somewhere we'll have to make that up, but that's all right. Um, happy that uh, Danny is back. Your, the text line is always open, 802-585-3026. By the way, I forgot to tell you, the show is brought to you by Six and Stuff and Swat and Lumber. Five, four, <laughs> three, two, one. And here we go. Yeah, here we've went. 802-585-326. Six and Stuff and Swat and Lumber, Vermont and Upstate New York's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sixandstuff.com. Patriots made another big but interesting hire today to their coaching staff. We'll tell you who it is and what do we think is a fair win total for the Pats next season. One radio host is a very high number. We'll tell you what that is next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM-FM and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV-AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Reminder, full show tonight. We're up until 7, and then it's uh, Jazz with George Thomas. Aaron Deloney is going to stop by from the UVM men's basketball team. He'll be with us at about 6.30. His team rolling right now, a perfect 8-0 inside league play. Danny, another scheduling oddity, by the way, of the America East. So I hate the schedule. Right? Like I'm well on the record of saying I hate the schedule. I hate this Thursday-Saturday nonsense. I I don't like it. I don't think it's good with the travel. I don't think it's good in terms of recovery. I don't think it's good in terms of practice time. It might be good in terms of economics, right? Like less days in a hotel if you're traveling. You can play Albany one day and Binghamton the next day, or, or Albany Thursday and Binghamton Saturday, and you don't have to spend as much time in a hotel. That might be good. So I'm sure this is a bottom line thing. But here we are. We've gone through half the league schedule, and yet we haven't seen New Hampshire yet. I prefer when we play everybody once. And then we play everybody a second time. We have now seen Binghamton twice and New Hampshire zero times. I do not appreciate that. So um, I was looking at the schedule. I'm like, we're halfway through, but we haven't played some anybody yet. Yeah, New Hampshire hasn't been seen yet. We're going to see New Hampshire twice in the final two and a half weeks of the season, but yet haven't seen them yet. So, and Danny, this is a bigger discussion. Maybe we can have tomorrow. But I really think the American East has taken the – a league that should want its best teams represented in the NCAA tournament, a league that should want its best teams to have great records going into the NCAA tournament, I think it really has hurt its league by the nature of the schedule. I don't want to make excuses for the UVM women the other day, but the UVM women lost to Binghamton, right? One day after, you know, one game after beating Albany. If this is, if the Albany game was played on a Wednesday, 
and UVM gets the, you know, the emotions out of that. They charge the batteries. People are healthy. Emma Utterback got banged up in that Albany game. Who knows if she was 100% right. If they get that extra day to prepare, I would like to think they're at their best on Saturday against Binghamton, and they could go and win that game. But instead, now you got to travel. You're staying, in, you're staying you know, quick turnaround, limited practice time. Who knows if Emma Utterback or anyone else is banged up at this point. They're not fully healthy. And now UVM loses that game. And you're just creating and inviting opportunities for your league champion to be 12 and 4 or 13 and 3. And even those are great records. Well, if you could be 15 and 1, and that's going to take your, your champion from a 15 line to a 14 line or a 13 line to a 12 line, that's what I would want. I want my representative in the NCAA tournament to be as good as they possibly can, to have as good a record as they possibly can, to have as good a seed as they possibly can, because that makes everybody look good. That makes the entirety of the league look good. And when you get it to the point where you may not have that and your schedule has helped create that problem, I, I don't love that. Again, I'm not trying to make an excuse for the UVM women, but – this is one of the issues with this schedule is that you are creating, you know, maybe us not seeing our best basketball by playing two games in three days, right? By playing right off the bus practically, by taking out practice time, by limiting your scout. It's part of the reason why it's so impressive what UVM on the men's side did in that weekend, Danny, where they beat UMass Lowell and then beat Bryant. Coach Becker even told us in the media session after the, the UMass Lowell game, he's like, this is what the schedule has created, like the potential to not be at your best on that Saturday game. Maybe that's what happened to the UVM women, and I'm not a fan of it. So 802-585-3026. I want to get to a couple of Patriots notes here, a couple of things very, very interesting. Danny, today the Patriots hired Ben McAdoo as an offensive, <clears throat> excuse me, as a senior offensive assistant. Basically, he's going to work with Alex Van Pelt, the new offensive coordinator, we don't know what he's going to do beyond that. I would presume he will be a sounding board for Van Pelt. He will work with Van Pelt in practice, work with offensive players. He's not going to be the play caller. That is going to be Van Pelt. But Ben McAdoo is on the staff as a senior offensive assistant. What's interesting is this. Ben McAdoo has been around our, you know, football lexicon for a while you think of ben mcadoo as maybe being an older guy ben mcadoo is only 46 years old so ben mcadoo when he got the giants job and i understand he became a laughing stock right and he was wearing his suit to the side like he became a laughing stock but he was a very young guy when that happened and now he is 46 years old that is still a very young guy um i think most people are going to pan this hiring because of what Ben McAdoo was as a head coach for the Giants, because he got fired, because he got made fun of and all that. The guys on 98.5 The Sports Hub, Danny, were panning this earlier today. All right, this is according to Mike Garofalo, NFL Network. The Patriots are hiring Ben McAdoo as an assistant uh, offensive coach, sources say, from Albert Breer, who had reported that the team is working on it right now. It's being finalized, and a former Giants head coach and Panthers offensive coordinator is headed to New England. So you had to go hire Van Pelt, then you had to go hire McAdoo. This staff, 
from last season. Bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. Has downgraded. I can't go that far because the staff is incomplete. But as I said, I think this hire is going to be universally panned. I think people are going to rip the Patriots and Gerard Mayo for making this hire. I'm going to tell you, I actually like it. Okay? I actually like it. The things that Ben McAdoo, we believe, fell short on, well, were maybe his things like leading the team and maybe things like clock management, maybe things like not winning the press conference, right, not looking the part CEO enough on the sideline, right? Ben McAdoo allegedly fell short in the head coaching department. That does not mean that Ben McAdoo cannot be a useful part of a staff. Right, We say this all the time when it comes to young quarterbacks, and you're going to hear me say this a bunch as the Patriots go get another young quarterback. You want to insulate your quarterback, your young quarterback. You want to insulate them. You want to protect them. That's why you want a great offensive line. That's why you want a great defense. That's why you want a great head coach. That's why you want elite wide receivers. Right? We talk about Brock Purdy as we are in Super Bowl week, and we all kind of acknowledge that Brock Purdy's pretty good. But Brock Purdy has it great, does he not, right? Devo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Kyle Shanahan, great defense, great pass rush, great tight end, great left tackle in Trent Williams. Brock Purdy kind of has it all. He is fully insulated. That's what we want for our quarterback. I also want my rookie head coach to have great support staff, to have great people around him, to have people that have experience. Just because you're not the, you know, the star wide receiver doesn't mean you can't be a useful piece for my young quarterback. Just because Ben McAdoo didn't work out as a head coach with the New York Giants doesn't mean that he can't be a great addition to my staff. Again, he's not calling the plays. He's not leading every meeting. He's not front-facing to the media. He is there to help Gerard Mayo. He's a guy who has head coaching experience. Usually we champion that. He has head coaching experience. He's still young. Hopefully he has learned from his previous shortcomings. And the things that he was already good at, hopefully he's still very good at. I have to, I have to be okay with this. Okay? Gerard Mayo gets a resource. Alex Van Pelt gets a resource. Ben McAdoo has called plays. Ben McAdoo has been a head coach. He's been through certain situations. And I don't need him to be the front-facing part of my organization. What we know about Ben McAdoo historically and what I've read today, is he's got a great eye for quarterbacks. And Ben McAdoo knows quarterbacks. And that, in this offseason for the New England Patriots, is about as important as it gets. No, scratch that. It is as important as it gets. Allegedly, allegedly, Ben McAdoo was a guy, he wanted the Giants to trade up for Patrick Mahomes. The year Patrick Mahomes came out, Ben McAdoo said, I see something in this guy, I want to take him. Giants brass wouldn't do it. Okay, but Ben McAdoo saw greatness in Patrick Mahomes and wanted him on his football team. Ben McAdoo was very, very high on Lamar Jackson, a guy who went at the end of a first round. Very, very high on Josh Allen, who, you know, taken out of Wyoming, there was a lot of questions about Josh Allen. Ben McAdoo liked both of them. So if Ben McAdoo knows quarterbacks and knows evaluations of quarterbacks, isn't that somebody I want on my staff heading into what is the most important draft of the New England Patriots in 25 years? The Mac Jones draft was pretty important, too. It's one of the two most important drafts for the Patriots in 25 years. A guy who knows quarterbacks 
a guy who's done it, a guy who's done it in multiple places, seems like a valuable guy to have on my staff, right? Not everybody can be the star. Not everybody can succeed as a head coach. But just but having a former head coach on my staff, having a voice there that my new coaching staff can go to, I don't see a problem with that. Okay, don't let his past failure as a head coach dictate how you feel about this. Okay, the Patriots at one point had Matt Patricia as a senior offensive assistant. Well, now they're going to have a guy who's been a, been a head coach, been a guy who's coached on the offensive side of the ball, and has a good history of evaluating and working with quarterbacks. That is something I can get on board with. So the people who don't like it, you're just looking at the resume and saying, okay, he failed as a head coach and was kind of a laughing stock. Don't do that. Don't be prisoner of the resume. Look at the rest of the resume. Tech says, Pat's hiring McAdoo is good. He and Van Pelt have worked together. That's true. They did in Green Bay. It adds more brain power to the offensive room, and McAdoo does have a solid track record as a play caller. And Danny... Please look this up for me, and I, I may be wrong on this, but I believe Ben McAdoo took the Giants to the playoffs. I believe the whole boat picture with OBJ and Sterling Shepard and those guys that the Giants got panned for, I believe Ben McAdoo was the head coach of that team. Like I think he took the Giants to the playoffs. So we can't act like it was all a total failure. Did you find that, Danny? We're searching. Okay, I, I believe that to be true. Right? Like, again, the Giants, I believe they lost in Green Bay in the playoffs, and OBJ punched out the wall or whatever and hurt his hand, or punched out a whiteboard, I should say, not the wall, but punched out a whiteboard. But Ben McAdoo took a team to the playoffs. Made the playoffs in his first season in 2016. Okay, how many years was he there? 2016 and 2017, I think. Okay, so I think he got fired like 12 games into 2017. So it 2-10 it, record in 2017 and get got fired. Yep. Yeah, so it... it it, it went downhill quick, but he, he did get there, and he did get there right away. So it's not all going to be bad. 802-585-3026. Danny, we talked a lot yesterday, and we've talked, you know, with you here as well, about what the Patriots should do with the number three pick in the draft, right? I have firmly been in team quarterback. Tom Curran says they should trade down and take a left tackle in the first round. Well, apparently Colin Cowherd of Fox Sports Radio has a very interesting idea, and that idea is relayed to us by Mike Felger of 98.5 The Sports Hub in Boston. That uh, said there's some teams interested in moving up. Uh, Vikings might be one of them. Colin put two and two together and said Vikings from 11 to 3 for their next year's first rounder and Justin Jefferson. Oh, I do this a thousand percent. A thousand percent. A thousand out of a thousand. And I, I just can't, Maz, you're, you're right to think of the money. It's the biggest issue in the whole thing. But I, I just can't, I'm, I can't sit here and say, well, the Pats won't do that because they won't pay them. So it sounds as if, and I'd have to go and find this in writing somewhere. Maybe I can find Colin saying it himself. It sounds as if Colin has said that he would propose the Vikings trading up from 11 to 3 giving the Patriots Justin Jefferson and a first-round pick next year? And would that be also the first-round pick this year, like pick number 11? That seems like too much. That can't be right. But you know what? No matter what the permutation of this is, I don't think I can do it if I'm the Patriots. Because, for one, a few different reasons. One, 
I need a quarterback, right? I've said that a thousand times. I'm not going to beat that same horse. I need a quarterback. I want to take a quarterback at three. If you're telling me that I can get Justin Jefferson for the third pick, that's great, right? That's a great wide receiver. That's the home run threat that we need. Why would I not just take Marvin Harrison Jr. at number three then instead of trading for Justin Jefferson? Why do I have to trade for Justin Jefferson and then pay him $100 million soon when I could just go get Marvin Harrison Jr. on a rookie contract for five years, right? And Marvin Harrison Jr., I get a younger player. I get a cheaper player. I don't have to trade my pick away, and I don't have to pay him for five years. Like, if I if I want to go the receiver route, why would I not just draft one? Well, Brady, Marvin Harrison will be lucky to turn into Justin Jefferson. That's true, but I've been told that Marvin Harrison Jr., is like Hall of Fame worthy. So if I could take a Hall of Fame caliber receiver at three, why would I not just do that? When I then go get a guy who I got to pay a hundred million dollars to now. Justin Jefferson wants a new deal now. Like I believe Justin Jefferson has played three years in the NFL. Like it's time for him to get paid. Maybe it's four years in the NFL already. Like he wants to get paid now. We spent all last season, all last off season, talking about is he going to get his deal? So rather than go through that, I'd rather just at that rate draft a receiver, then go sign one in free agency, and then build up my team that way. If if you're inclined to not take a quarterback, then just go take Marvin Harrison Jr. Danny, see if you can find Cowherd's exact trade proposal. Because while I don't like it, no matter what, I still would like to know exactly what he's saying. I was seeing on Twitter it's it's a twenty twenty five there for twenty twenty five first round pick for Jefferson to move up. So so Colin is saying the Patriots should not have a not have a first round pick this year. They should get Jefferson and then the Vikings next year's first round pick? Right. And then you're assuming the Vikings are bad with their quarterback that they draft? Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess well, if Colin doesn't have the Patriots taking a quarterback, I guess he assumes the Patriots will be bad. So, he assumes the Patriots themselves will have a top 10 pick. And then he, if you're saying, okay, a rookie quarterback, Vikings aren't great, maybe you get another top 15 pick. I can understand the appeal in that, but I would like to have a quarterback. And if you're not going to give me a quarterback and tell me I can get a great wide receiver, then I might as well just take the receiver myself. And do I think Justin Jefferson's going to want to come here and play in New England? And, hey, by the way, who's throwing you the ball? Oh, yeah, it might be Mac or Bailey Zappi. How do we think that's going to go over? How many times in the history of the NFL have we seen great receivers work with crummy quarterbacks and have it not turn out particularly great? I, I don't need that dynamic. And no dome to get to the ball in. Yes, I don't need that. I love Colin, but this one doesn't register with me uh, on a lot of different levels, right? Like, it's, the main thing is money. The main thing is I need a quarterback. The second main thing is money. I don't have to use it on Marvin Harrison Jr. I would have to use it on uh, on Jefferson. Um, Adam Jones, notorious Patriots hater, WEI in Boston. He was talking about the Patriots, about their expectations for 2024, and obviously it's too early to know exactly how things are going to look, right? We haven't had the draft. We haven't had free agency. We haven't had all these moving pieces yet, but still – Jones is putting a high premium on the Patriots' success in 2024, Danny. He thinks they should win nine or ten games. I want nine or ten. And I really don't think that's that hard to do. 
but they better win seven or eight games. You don't think that's that hard to do? No, I don't. Jones, they were a bottom two offense this last okay. season. They were trash the year before, and they, they won eight games. They don't have a quarterback. Lego, they barely had a quarterback two years ago, and they won eight games. Mac was terrible with Patricia and Judge. Terrible coaching, bad roster, no talent, a bad quarterback. They won eight games. Um, I'd like to rip it, but I can't. Right? Like, I can't rip it. I think it is fair, maybe not to expect it, but it's certainly fair to suggest that it's possible, right? We see it every year where a team goes from worst to first. We saw the Texans go from picking second in the draft to winning a division and making the playoffs. It certainly is possible, right? If you get the head coach right, if you get the quarterback right, then absolutely things can fall into place. Remember, the Patriots are playing a last-place schedule. For whatever that's worth, we don't know how teams are looking at, but the Patriots are playing a last-place schedule. I mean, I mean, let me just run through their opponents next year. It's a tough schedule, right? Looking at it now, again, without any of this stuff, I would say it's a tough schedule. But, look, they're going to play Tennessee, who I think they will be better than. They're going to play Jacksonville, who has Trevor Lawrence, but may not have Kelvin Ridley. I would think there's a chance they could be Jacksonville. They're going to play Cincinnati. I would call that a loss. They're going to play San Francisco. I would call that a loss. They're going to play the Bears, maybe with a rookie quarterback. I'd call that a win, maybe depending on when it is in the schedule. If it's week one, really definitely a win. Week 15 might be different. They're going to play the Jets twice. I'd like to think they can beat the Jets at least once. They're going to play Buffalo twice. They're going to play Miami twice. I'd like to think they can beat Miami at least once. Like I've already got them there to potentially five wins. They're going to see Seattle, who we don't know what they're going to look like under a new head coach. They're going to see the Rams, who with another aging guy in Matthew Stafford, I don't know what they're going to look like. Chargers, Jim Harbaugh, don't know. They're going to play Houston again. We don't know. Like, there is a path there to seven, eight, nine wins. Do I, look, as I usually say, the NFL is designed for you to be 500. Things go your way, you win 10 games. Things don't go your way, you win six games. That's how the NFL is designed. So if the Patriots get if the Patriots stay healthy and then they play some teams that don't stay healthy, well now there's another there's even more chances for victories, right? A couple of years ago, right, we saw the Patriots yeah, they had you know, they played the Browns without Deshaun Watson. That's a break. They got to see Jacoby Brissett. We saw them play uh the Browns the year before without Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt. That's a break. We saw them play multiple backup quarterbacks. To, in, the, in Max rookie year, they played multiple backup quarterbacks. So the NFL is a game of attrition. It's a game of scheduling. It's a game of sequencing. Who do you play on Thursday night? Who are you playing on Monday night? Who are you playing off a of bye? Who's coming off the bye when you play them? Do I think that the Patriots right now have enough talent to go and win 10 games next year? No. Is it absurd to sit here and say that they couldn't win 10 games next year? Well, no, it's not absurd either. Schedule looks tough. Who gets injured? Who's injured or not injured for you? Who you play and when? How's your schedule look? Um, but there are, as of today, there are winnable games on this schedule. You're playing the AFC South. That is the second worst division in the NFL. You're playing the entire AFC South next year. Like, I'd like to think... You, you could go three and one in that in that time slot or in that slot. Playing the NFC West, NFC West looks pretty good. You, you very well might go one and three there. What if you pull? What if you beat Arizona? What if you beat Seattle? Good chance. Then in your division, hard to beat teams twice. Are they going to go zero and six in their division? I would say probably not. So 
again, do I expect it? No. Do I think they're more likely to win seven games next year? Yeah, I do. But it's not absurd to, to, to sit here and say that, oh, they couldn't be this year's Houston, right? Team that went from awful to playoffs right away. Um, text says, based on the senior bowl, how about Marvin Harris at number three overall, Spencer Rattler in round two? Don't want Spencer Rattler, Oklahoma guy, transferred to South Carolina, not a huge fan. Um, if we're taking second round quarterbacks, I'll have to come up with a list that doesn't, that, that includes different names other than him. But I look at the quarterback at number three, right? I look at the quarterback at number three overall. All right, a team that's certainly not number three, a team that is number one. That is the UVM men's basketball team. Catamounts have won nine consecutive games. They are 8-0 inside league play. They are uh, at the top of the league yet again. Aaron Deloney, one of their standouts, their senior leader. He's going to join us next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. <laughs> Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. As I said before the break, Catamount men's hoops team is rolling. They just won at Bingham, or against Binghamton and Patrick Jim the other day. Bit of a struggle a little bit. We'll talk with AD about that, but they are overall 18-5, and 8-0 inside league play. Aaron Deloney is on the phone line with us now. They're senior leader. He's been with us. Uh, every week, every other week for the entire season will continue until the season is over, which we hope is uh, not until deep into March and six straight games in double figures for Aaron Deloney. A.D. on the phone with us now. A.D., how are you? Good, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you being with us. Um, let's kind of work from the back to the front, right, from the last time we spoke. You guys are unbeaten in the league, and part of the reason you're unbeaten is because you had those two really good wins in that crucial week, beating UMass yeah. Lowell in overtime and then going on the road and beating Bryant. Talk yeah. to me about those wins and what they meant to you. Yeah, both really tough games, especially on the road. Um, so I think leading up to that game, we talked about how important they were. If we could steal at least one of them on the road, uh, we ended up going down there, getting the first one against UMass Lowell, winning the overtime, and then had a lot of momentum going into Bryant. Um, so those two on the road against uh, the second and third best team right now meant a lot for us. The UMass Lowell game was interesting. You got out to a really good start. Then they came back. Yeah. Then you had a pretty good you know, kind of early part of the second half. And the last three minutes or so, you guys really, really struggled trying to hold that lead. A couple of turnovers, some poor shot selection, et cetera. How important is an end-of-game situation like that for you guys to go through, study from, and learn from? Uh, it's a lot, you know. Even though we won that game, you know, we can still learn from it. We went back and watched the tape, um, actually, like the last three minutes of that game. Um before overtime and kind of just, okay, in this situation, this is what we need to do. In this situation, just call a timeout. Um, so so definitely a learning experiences uh, in that game, but I'm glad we got to pull it out. So you go on the road the next day, you beat Bryant, another team that's really been coming for you. Their their fans are raucous, really cool environment, it seemed, yeah. like there in, uh, in Rhode Island. You won that game by 10, but really you were in, in control all the way throughout that game. What went into that victory? Because you really shut down Sharif Gross Bullock, one of the best scorers in the conference. I was going to say, Shamir's been doing a great job on every team's, like, best guard. Um, he's, he's been giving them fits, um, and that's been that's been huge for us. Um, and I think I think just knowing that, knowing who their guys are, our scouts are, are really good game in and game out, and our defense has been there every single game. I think that's been the biggest thing for us. Um, 
I think with our offensive players we have, you know, we haven't as a team shot it uh, to our capabilities yet. So I think um, defense has been what's been there for us game in and game out. Three consecutive games holding opponents under 60. Um, yeah. Is it a communication thing? Is it an effort thing? Is it guys being healthy? What's kind of gone into this run of good defense here recently? I think I think it's a mix of all that. You know, guys are back. Um, O'Leary's guarding their best forwards. we got Shamir guarding their best guards. And everybody else is giving maximum effort. Um, and kind of our coaches harping that defense is the most important thing. Defense wins championships. And when everybody's playing 100%, every possession, um, it makes it really hard for the for the other team. Scored 81 against Albany, played really well offensively, came back, kind of struggled, I think, a little bit on Saturday against Binghamton, putting up only 62. But you go and look at the numbers, you still shot it fairly well from three. You're still pretty good at the free throw line. The numbers really aren't that bad. Is that just a case of you're playing a team for the second time in the last three weeks and it's a lot harder to do the second time what you did the first? A hundred percent. It's always hard to beat a team twice, um, especially after you beat them by 20 the first time. We knew they were going to come in super physical, uh, kind of with something to prove, knowing, knowing that they didn't want to lose again. Um, so we knew it was a physical game. That's exactly how they played. Um, they they uh, knew what we were kind of doing um, and they and they adjusted to it. Uh, so props to them for that. And then second half, we kind of figured out, all right, this is what we need to do. This is what they're now doing, um, adjusting to us after that first game. So. Uh, it was definitely a slow start, but we figured some things out in the second half. One of the oddities of this new schedule, I don't remember this ever being the case, is that you just saw Binghamton for the second time. We have yet to see New Hampshire yet. So right. like, I'm confused it, about it too. <laughs> you know, it's weird here. I, you know, in my mind, I'm like, we're halfway through the league schedule, but we haven't played every opponent yet. Right. Um, so there, another schedule oddity here. Yeah, super weird. Um, I was saying the exact same thing uh, like two days ago. I thought this week we'd actually be playing UNH, and we're still not. So uh, it's, de- it's definitely odd. I don't, I don't get it, but I'm kind of just going with the flow at this point. Talking with Aaron Deloney, the UVM men's basketball standout. Catamounts are unbeaten in league play atop the conference. AD, six straight games and double figures for you, um, and specifically from three. The other day you hit four of them. What's kind of gone into you? I don't want to call it a turnaround, but what's kind of gone into your um, your hot streak and your more consistent shooting here the last couple of weeks? I think kind of just settling into my role. You know, it was a lot of ups and downs at the beginning of the season, knowing if um, our Shamir was going to play, um, Gase was going to play. Um, so I think I'm in a spot where, you know, I'm, I'm used to this now. I, I, this is what I've been doing for the last two years. So knowing that my job is just now to come off the bench, score points, and uh, make plays for others. That's all I got to worry about night in and night out. You know, your line consistently is looking like five assists, no turnover, six assists, one turnover. You're really doing well at distributing the ball, but also holding on to the ball. And your program is one of the best programs in the country at assist-to-turnover ratio. What kind of goes into that? Because, like, you don't want to be careless, but you don't ever want to be too careful either. You guys seem to have found the balance between the two. Right. I just think, um, I think just playing with each other for so long, um, and kind of knowing where everybody's going to be, knowing when they're going to cut. Um, we do it a lot in practice and we, we replicate the situations that, that happen in the game. So when the game comes, it's, it's just like practice. So uh, I think just knowing each other well, knowing each other's tendencies, knowing where we like to get shots, uh, is, is important. We've seen O'Leary with some great dunks. I've seen Shamir with some great dunks. Jace's dunk against Bryant going through the lane was very, very impressive. We got eight games left in your regular season plus the playoffs. Are you going to catch one for us at some point down the stretch here? 
Um, I don't. I honestly don't think I've had the opportunity. Um, I you had like a backdoor a- against all day where you caught it in the air and went up for the layup. Now, guy was coming backside help. It oh, wouldn't the one really I threw be the mat. I, I thought you went up for the layup. Maybe you did pass it, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was, I think it was a super high pass. Guy out the hole came and I was already in the air. I think I <laughs> bounced it to Matt. Right. But, but if I got like a breakaway, nobody's around, I, I, I could definitely try, but in traffic, it's probably looking slow. Would it need, would you need to be up big for you to try or are you confident in a two point game? Nah, open court, you could do it. Not, definitely not a two point game. These are old knees. You <laughs> actually that my freshman year, I could, I could tell you, yeah, but. These old knees, uh, probably not in a, in a tight one. Um, you know, I, it was interesting. We we're talking about. I was listening to Le, uh, to LeBron the other day, and he was talking about advice to young players in the NBA, and like he thinks younger guys are kind of motivated by the wrong things. And I've always started thinking about like what motivated me as a player. So I want to ask you: when you came in as a freshman, like what were your expectations? What were your goals? What were you thinking about? And how maybe have they changed now to a fifth year senior? Uh, come in, I wanted to be the best player I could be. Um, I obviously wanted to play right out the gate. Um, and then I just wanted to win. That's kind of why I chose Vermont. Um, and I think moving forward to now, um, I'm more in like a leadership role, same as last year. Obviously winning is the, winning is the exact same, but now it's like being a great example for, you know, the young guys that are watching me that are going to be in the same leadership role as I am. So for me, that's what motivated me knowing that I can't slack. I can't take a day off. I can't, if I'm banged up, take a day off. Um, so just, just kind of being that, that person that everybody looks at, um, and just being a great example for everybody that's going to be in the same role as I am. Um, cause I think leadership throughout a team is that it creates winning a winning culture. AD, if you were playing pickup ball, yeah. would you rather be the best player on a team that's getting beat, but everybody knows how good you are and you're getting the shots, or would you rather be a lesser piece, but your team is staying on the floor all day? Uh, probably staying on the floor all day with, with a lesser role for sure. Man, I guess I'm a selfish player because I'm like, if I'm playing pickup. Pick in pickup, I don't want to play three games in a set. Uh, with 40 people out there on the playground, I'd rather play 10 games and and be talking, talking. You can't, you can't talk if you lose. We could I'm play, like, we we could lose 16, 14, but as long as I score 12, I don't care. <laughs> like, no, I get that for sure, but I gotta stay on the court. I gotta be able to talk a little, a little junk every here and there. Are you a big junk talker? I don't see it from you on the court. Maybe it's a pickup versus organized setting thing, but I don't see that from you. Is that your game no, secretly? So, so not really, but like if somebody tries like to get me going, I'm definitely like right back, but nobody, nobody really does it that we play against. But in practice, like we've had practices where it's gotten, it's gotten uh, vocal for sure. Who's the best talker on the squad? The best talker. O'Leary's up there for sure. Me, me, O'Leary. Doesn't happen too much now, but like back when we were like, uh, playing in the summer, a lot of pickup, beginning of the season, roles weren't really defined yet. A little bit of everybody, but me and O'Leary are up there for sure. Let me ask you a question, um, about this. So the, the UVM women beat Albany last week, right? Huge win, moved them into a tie for, for, uh, you know, first place at the time. They followed that up with a loss against Binghamton, an under 500 team. How do you go about on your side of things? following up like that UMass Lowell win, not letting down the next time out. Yeah. I think with the quick turnaround, uh, that's a super hard thing to do. 
And um, when you when you get that first win, it's got to be like like a short term memory loss. You got to put that right behind you, enjoy it in that night. And then the next day, your whole mindset has to shift to the next team. And that's what our coaches kind of uh, that's kind of the, the message that, that they gave to us after when we were on the road to beat UMass. And they're like, all right, enjoy it tonight. Tomorrow we're locked in on Bryant. And I think our our focus shifted so much just by them saying that and then uh, that Friday we replicated everything Brian was going to do and went, we went really hard. We didn't treat Friday as like an off day. We went really hard going through their stuff um, and was locked in for the Saturday game. The easiest answer is it's one day at a time, but you're a fifth-year senior. Now yeah. that we're in February, do things feel different? Does it feel like we're getting towards March? Does it feel different than it did a month ago? Definitely. Um uh, especially on our, I talked about our defense, but like, I think we're, if we keep playing defense like this, we're, we're going to be really good. Then we just got to, the offense just has to come. Um, we put up 80 every game like we did a couple games ago and keep playing D like we did. I think we're going to be great. We talk about the trash talkers on the team. Let's go to the other side. Valentine's day is coming up here in, uh, in eight days. Who's the, Who's got the softest spot on the team? Uh, I'm not going to say names, but there's there's a, there's a couple guys um, that are going to be buying flowers and, and candy for sure. Uh, <laughs> they got they got their girls, uh, so def, definitely a big a big chunk of the team. All right, so some guys got some very good hearts. We like to hear that too. So <laughs> good a good mix of everybody. So AD man, it's going to be NJIT on uh, on Thursday. We're looking forward to that when you're back out on the road after a nice homestand. We'll catch up in two weeks, and hopefully when we do, still at the top of the conference. And uh, good luck with it, and we'll talk soon. Cool, appreciate you. Absolutely. There goes Aaron Deloney, the UVM men's basketball standout. His team is a perfect 8-0 right now inside league play. Danny, I'm looking at you as we do the interview. You wanted him to name names. I wasn't asking. I really did. I wasn't asking him, like, I think maybe he took it as, like, who who's soft. I wasn't asking who's soft. I'm just saying, like, like who's got a soft spot? Well, you know what I mean? Like, he was talking about talking trash. I was thinking to myself, like, okay, who's got a soft spot? I wasn't looking for, like, who is soft. I was looking for, like, you know, who's who's an old romantic? Um, he's being a good teammate. He's being a good teammate. Um, I don't know. See, I think they're all good guys. So I think the answer probably applies to all of them, right? Like, you know, I think they're all, I think they're all good guys. I think they all have good hearts that are good, good natured. AD is great. Um, good stuff there on kind of how you bounce back from, we always talk about bouncing back from a tough loss. Well, how do you bounce back from a tough win, right? Like, how do you bounce back from a tough win? Catamount men did it in the UMass Lowell Bryant stretch. Catamount women weren't able to replicate it. And I'll be looking forward to talking with Emma Utterback next week about kind of where they're at. Now they're going to have a couple of games coming up before we speak to her again on Thursday and Saturday, and those games are going to be at home, so I hope they win both of them. But, you know, that was a very disappointing loss against Binghamton for the Catamount women. Um, I am so fascinated, right? And I think if you've listened to me long enough, you've probably caught on to this. I really am fascinated by what motivates guys. Like, what motivates athletes? What motivates people? Because I think everybody is motivated by something different, and I think everybody is motivated by different things kind of at various points of their life, right? Various points of their life, various points of their career. When LeBron said the other day, basically like the young guys need to learn that the cars, the money, all that stuff doesn't mean anything. Well, he's right, but a young player is motivated by something different than he is, right? LeBron at this point is motivated by one thing only. It's championships. That's it, right? He's already 
the NBA's all-time leading scorer. So he's already got personal records. He's already going to the Hall of Fame. That That's already well decided. He's already, um, you know, established himself as one of the greatest of all times. The only thing that he's not a, certainly money doesn't matter to him. So the only thing that matters to him is can I somehow get perceived as being better than Michael and can I win championships and winning championships will help me do that. And can that's I play only, with my son? Right. That's true too. That's the only, those are the only things that matter to him. A 23 year old is looking at something different. And I, I, I use this example because it's so perfect, right? Look at the Terry Rozier arc. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Remember Terry Rozier with the Celtics, Danny? He came in, he filled in for Kyrie. He was great in the playoffs. The next year, he realizes, like, look, man, like, this is my chance. Like, this is my chance now to establish myself. And if I get established and I get to a place where I can play a lot, well, then everything I want will come to me, right? So he wanted to play. And he was kind of a malcontent that last year in Boston because he didn't want to sit behind Kyrie. He wanted to play. He wanted to put up numbers. When you put up numbers, you get a chance to go get paid. When you get paid, you get a chance to go get the materialistic stuff that you want. I don't think that winning was the most important thing to Terry Rozier early in his career. The most important thing to Terry Rozier early was Terry Rozier, right? Staying in the league, putting up numbers, getting a contract, getting a second contract, taking care of himself for life. Once you get that, then you can start to focus back the other way on the team stuff. And I think that's probably where he's at right now, right? Like, he goes to Charlotte. He establishes himself. He gets the money. He's a guy who is thought of in a different light. Now he goes to Miami, and I think he probably does want to win. So when AD says, like, I came in here, I was always kind of a team guy, that always surprises me. Because when I would have gone into freshman year of college, I would have been saying, like, man, I want to be the number one starter. I want to establish myself as the number one starter. And, yeah, I want to win, but I want to be the reason that we win. Right? I, I This is me. I didn't want to just be a part of a great team. I wanted to be a big part of a great team. And early in my career, I was selfish. I wanted to to have it be because of me or to be a big part of it. AD is certainly a team player, but I'm always amazed by kind of his attitude and then the attitudes of other players who say they're all about winning and actually back it up and show it. Because I don't think that all players are. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Jalen Brown just might do the NBA's dunk contest. Should he? Are we interested? Do we care? All of that next with Danny Hoops on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. Danny uh, Celtics guard forward Jalen Brown may do the uh, dunk contest at this year's All-Star Weekend. So that's coming up not this weekend, not Super Bowl weekend, but the next weekend. So the dunk contest is uh, February 17th. Sham Sharani had the report that Brown was seriously considering it. First and foremost, you're, you're you know a diehard Celtics fan. Do you care about this one way or the other? Are you excited to see him maybe do this? Are you nervous about injury? What, where do you stand on this in general? Yeah, I would like to see him try it. It'd be cool. I I would actually have somebody to cheer for in it. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of guys recently that you've never heard of. Yeah, I – this would make me watch the dunk contest um, because, to your point, dunk contest seems like for the last five years a lot of guys that I have never heard of, guys that don't play a lot, guys that are on really bad teams. We had the guy from the G League 
was it last year or two years ago? Mitch, whatever his name. What was that guy's name? Mac McClung. Mac McClung. Yeah. So like, I have, I like, I love the three point contest. That was a fun year though. It was, and it was a good story. But like, I love the three point contest. I haven't cared about the dunk contest in like a decade. Now I watched it for a lot of years and then I totally stopped watching it about six years ago. I did watch the Mac McClung year, but I have been so out on the dunk contest for a while. This would bring me back in. It's a Celtic. It's a player I've heard of. It's an all-star player. Um, could Jalen do anything that hasn't been done before? Could he do anything? That's why I'm kind of out of the dunk contest because, like, it just feels like it's all been done before. And, guys, they miss so many times trying it, and then they get exhausted, and then they can't do it, and they end up just throwing it in with two hands barely. The dunk contest for me used to be appointment television. Now, I'm going to date myself here, but it had to be about 2004 or so. Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, Steve Francis, and Larry Hughes. Those four, like that dunk contest, the year that Vince Carter won it and got like famous and put his arm in the rim, that to me was all time. Yeah. And before that, you know, Kobe was in the dunk contest. The Jordan one was in the dunk contest. So, like, and Jason Richardson, I thought, was great a couple of years. And I was in it because Desmond Mason was a Sonic, and he was winning it. And then the Dwight Howard run was pretty good, right? He's putting on the cape. He's The 12-foot hoop. The 12-foot hoop. He's putting the Superman logo on the backboard as he does it. Then it got wonky, right? Blake Griffin was cool. Like He jumped over a car, but, like. People again, weren't even impressed by that. I mean, I guess I'm in, maybe I'm impressed by it with revision. You should history, be, but, but like people were just like, okay, the car's not that tall. Whatever. I just don't, you know, I, I don't have much interest in the dunk contest in general. If Jalen did it, I would be, I would be invested. I really wish they would bring back. They used to do this, and I don't know how long they did it for, Danny. They used to do a, a three-on-three tournament with a current player, a WNBA player from your city, and a legend from your city. Bring that back. That, so like, I would be, I would be down with that. Now, not every city obviously has a WNBA team, so that were kind of restricted, you know, who you were at. But like, you know, it's a WNBA team in Chicago, WNBA team in Phoenix. Like, you bring out the old, you know, the son, the old son, the Mercury player, and you go up against a team from Chicago where I think it's like the Sky, the Bulls, and the Bulls legend. That was fun. Like, I was in on that. I also liked skills challenge. Back in the day, I have liked a lot of stuff historically in NBA's All-Star Weekend. The dunk contest is something I've had no time for for a while. If Jalen Brown did it, I would be interested. I would at least watch it. So there you go. Thanks to Danny. We're glad he's back. Uh, thanks to Aaron Deloney for stopping by. We'll get Tom Karen of Nesson tomorrow. Uh, high school hoops tomorrow, I believe, Danny. We're up uh, up until 645, so TC will be with us just after 6. Jazz with George Thomas is next on the E.